covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Thanks so much for being tuned in. One weekend of baseball. It is in the books. Three games in as we record this on Sunday night. The opening weekend maybe did not go the way Brewers fans would have liked for it to have gone. Brewers lose two of three to the Twins. It took them uh, coming back to get a win in extra innings on uh, opening day. But baseball is here. We can certainly be happy about that. How much how much stock do we put in what happened over the weekend? Well, that's kind of going to be the uh, running narrative of this podcast this week. More on that in a moment. First off, we'll get to our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, best way to do so is on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Uh, also, if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, can leave a ranking and review and also subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, all that is available for you and would certainly uh, hope that you would uh, be able to do that if it's something that you would like to do. All right, so I said this when I was hosting uh, Brewers Extra Innings on Sunday following their 8-2 loss to the Twins. And by the way, our featured guest, I should say that, right? Uh, let's not uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Tim Muma from Brew Crew Ball is set to join us in uh, just mere moments. So uh, stay tuned for that. Back to what I was saying. I, I've repeated this a few times. I'm struggling at this point of the year, three games in, because... The team that we saw on the field, specifically from an offensive standpoint, the team we saw on the field against the Twins is not the offensive club that we expected to see this year. What does that mean? I don't think it means a thing. It doesn't mean that they are going to be a struggling offensive club all year long, but it also doesn't mean that, yeah, you know what, it's just a weekend and they're certainly going to be the team that a lot of people, myself included, expected them to be from an offensive standpoint. I'm not sitting here and telling you that this is nothing, but I'm telling you it might be nothing. The old Jerry Seinfeld or any comedian for for that matter. But is this anything? Is this anything? We don't know. We don't know if what the Brewers did on opening weekend from a hitting perspective, if it is anything. So I'm not sitting here. Now, I'll say this. I absolutely do believe that they are going to be a very, very good offensive club this year very much improved, especially over what they were last year. But beyond that, I'm not saying they're going to be the best or a top two, top three team in the National League when it comes to hitting, but I think they're going to be a very productive offensive club this year. They didn't look it. They did not look it on opening weekend. If this happens in the middle of the season where you have a bad weekend, you just kind of go, eh. But for whatever reason, and it's not for whatever reason, the reason is everybody is all jacked up about the season getting started and you have no other data to use, so all you can do is look at what they did over the weekend and people get worried. Plus add that to the fact that last year they had their worst offensive season in in club history and the human reaction is to just go, okay, here they go again, more of the same. It's going to be a struggle offensively. And again, I, I can't tell you, I can't tell you that's not going to be true. I don't think it's going to be true, but I'm not right 100% of the time. I'm, I'm wrong plenty, and I have no problem admitting when I am wrong. And I, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but if I'm wrong, we'll certainly be discussing that through the year as it goes along. Uh, Craig Council said after the game on Sunday that the Brewers have to do a better job against starting pitchers. And it seemed like they acknowledged that 
the performance that they had to face off against on Saturday when Jose Barrios was just really, really good, that that was a little bit different than maybe the two other starters. You got the sense that not that Michael Pena did not pitch well on Sunday, but maybe the Brewers did not take advantage of the opportunities. There were some pitches to hit that they did not actually hit. And what that does is it allowed the Twins to really set things up to maneuver through their bullpen the way they wanted to maneuver through it. And you end up facing some pretty good relief pitchers as well. And that's what happened over the course of the weekend. That's why getting out to early leads is such a big deal because when you have the early lead, you get to dictate all aspects of the game where your opponent might not want to use a a certain relief pitcher because you don't want to use that relief pitcher in a game where you might not be en route to winning, and then all of a sudden the next day you might be en route to winning and want to use that guy, and he's not available. How often have we talked about that when it comes to uh, Josh Hader really throughout his entire Major League Baseball career? So that's um, that's kind of my th- my thoughts here at the beginning. Like We could sit here and dive in on the situational hitting not being great, the overall hitting not being great, a tough opening weekend for uh, Keston Hira. Uh, at the plate and and in the field for that matter as well. Obviously, he he struggled over at first base, and you knew you were going to get that a little bit this year. But he also doesn't come up with a hit. Christian Yelich didn't look great at the plate. There's we could get into all that, but I just I, we don't know what any of it means. And, and I'm not going to waste your time by trying to dive into three games worth of baseball, three of 162. Now, if we're talking next week on this podcast. And they're the in, in the exact same spot from an offensive standpoint. It starts to mean a little bit more. And same thing with the next one. It's still going to be a small sample size. We're going to be talking about a small sample size for the next couple months. Really, that's what happens when you play a 162 game season. I don't really know when stuff actually when it goes from is this anything to yes, this is something. I can't sit here and say okay on on June 17th that's the moment. Some people out there like to identify Flag Day as the day that does the unofficial, okay, this stuff starts mattering, maybe that's it, maybe it's not it. I can't say for sure. But what I can say is, on opening weekend, as of now, it didn't mean anything, but there is, there's obviously, it's clearly, obviously, they important that they find a way to pick things up a little bit from an offensive standpoint. This cannot be the club that they are going to be this year, or... They might be in for a fairly long season. Tough opening weekend. Tough opening weekend from an offensive standpoint. When you consider they could have easily gotten swept. Easily gotten swept. The Twins walked out of Milwaukee going, man, we should have won all three of those. And I think the Brewers walk out of the series probably saying, we're lucky to have won one. That's, it's not one of, sometimes you get those games where you're talking with uh, the players and, and the managers and whoever else from each side after the game gets over. And each side absolutely believes they should have won it. That's I don't think you had that this weekend. I think they can probably agree that the Twins can walk out saying they should have had all three, and the Brewers can say that they're lucky to have won one. I will say this. I, I really enjoyed this aspect of it. I've said this a lot already. I, I, I said it on Brewers Weekly this past week, so that's on the same podcast feed, so I'm probably repeating it for you if you are, uh, if you are a loyal listener to this podcast feed. I thought it was really real and really genuine when Craig Council and various players talked about the impact that fans had, especially after that opening day on Thursday, and the energy and the intensity that the fans helped, how literally the fans lifted the level 
of play for the team. And I thought that was really cool, and I believe it, by the way. Uh, I absolutely do. I know just for me personally, I was on opening day, WTMJ, we were broadcasting in our uh, mobile studio out in the plaza area out in front of the ballpark. And that's where the little road circle is that uh, all the shuttle buses come and drop people off. And for people who maybe don't park uh, in the stadium parking lots and walk in off the neighborhoods and everything, that's where everybody's coming in. And it was it was literally, literally, I mean, this is not one of those moments where I'm using the word literally, but it's not actually literally. It was literally a cathartic experience for me as I just watched the normalcy of people walking in. And, you know, for the most part, people weren't wearing masks at that point because you were outside and everything. And I, I from what I saw, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but from what I saw, it, it felt like the protocols were being followed for the most part, not 100%, for the most part inside the ballpark. But when you're outside the ballpark and you're just walking down the sidewalk, clearly there's not going to be a lot of mask wearing at that point. And there was just something, it just felt normal watching those buses roll in and watching the people walking in. And it just looked normal. And I really enjoyed that part of it. All right. Um, yeah, so Tim Mewman's going to join us here in uh, just moments. Contributor, oh, contributor, let's try that again. Contributor over at Brew Crew Ball. Let's get to it. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extranings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for a social media conversation. We welcome in somebody who uh, we enjoy having on the podcast. He is uh, part of the crew over at uh, Brew Crew Ball, contributes over there. He is uh, Tim Muma. You can follow him on Twitter if you would like, at Tim underscore M-U-M-A. Tim, always great to uh, get you on the podcast. How are you doing? Happy Easter. Happy Easter to you too, and uh, yeah, uh, happy, happy to be on, and just uh, thrilled to have baseball back, win or lose. Yeah, so let me tell you what I, I just said on the podcast. I'll give you kind of the the quick version of it. I I hate this moment of the season because everything <laughs> is nothing. Uh, they just had a, a three-game series where they did not hit well. Maybe that's who they are. Maybe that's going to be a narrative throughout the entire season, and we're talking about the offensive struggles just the way we were last year. Or maybe it's just a three-game thing at the beginning of the season, and they happen to run into some pitchers, and it's it, it's right at the start of the season. Like no, Nothing means anything. Now, you, you start tacking stuff on, then it starts to mean something. So I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, for sure they're going to be a good offensive club and they're going to be much better than this. I think they're going to be, but I'm not proclaiming claiming that absolutely they will, but I also can't sit here and say that this is indicative of anything. So I I, I, I set that premise from my perspective to ask you, what do you take away from the first three games of the season? It is human nature. I mean, how quickly we all forget, uh, you know, leading into the opener, really, saying, well, remember, last year was only 60 games. Only 60 games, so you can't really judge them too harshly on that. But now... You know, we're starting a full season, and after three games, we're having the same conversations of, oh, my gosh, this team can't hit. Yelich is striking out too much here. can't at all. Um, I get it. I understand. Everyone gets so excited for the opener, and there's so much emphasis put on it, kind of like what you're talking about here. Are there going to be concerns, of course? Should you look at certain things on a day-to-day basis, especially as a player and as a manager, hitting coach, that kind of stuff? Yes. But, man, we have to find a way to understand that it's three games. It is three games against a top-quality opponent. For sure, you've seen some really good pitching already. I mean, from both sides, obviously. 
Um, you know, it's way too early to start freaking out about that stuff. I know people don't want to hear that, and it's it's uh, fun for some people to always jump on these these negative things right away. And and even for me myself, not maybe not yesterday so much, but today you start you know creeping in your head a little bit. Well, this looks a lot like last year. Yeah. But man, it's just you have to do everything you can not to fall into that trap because there are a number of different factors, right? I mean, we always talk about this. I think every season that if this happens in the middle of June in a series. You know, you don't start freaking out about it, even if they were, you know, bad last year as well. Um, I think you just have to, you know, ride it out a little bit, give guys time to get settled in. You're not going to face, uh, you know, top opponents every single weekend or every single series. So it's hard. I understand that. We're all excited. We wanted to see them, you know, jump out of the gate and, and prove everyone was different, including Yelich, including Hira. And it just doesn't always work out that way. Look around the league. So. Um, you know, again, discouraging a little, but it's baseball. You took at least one in the series. You didn't get swept against one of the better teams in the league. I'm going to keep saying it. And, uh, you know, head over to Chicago, and you now we get into sort of that, that rhythm of the season where you hope that players start getting into that routine and feeling more like themselves, looking more like themselves as they start to go all throughout the season. All right, so I 100% agree with every word that just came out of your mouth. But I'm going to – I want to say right. one thing, <laughs> that the if if push comes to shove – and somebody tell asks me, okay, choose one thing that you would be worried about from the first three games. I'll tell you what it is, and it's it's because it's gone. It's something that this team has struggled with, not just this weekend, not just last year, but going back even beyond that. Even in some good years, they've struggled with this, and that's situational hitting. So, if there's one area sure. that I do want to take away, they uh, on Saturday and Sunday, in particular, they didn't have a lot of opportunities. But when they had those opportunities, when the runners were on in scoring position, we always talk about that proverbial big hit. I've spent way too much time over the last two, three years talking about them not getting the proverbial big hit. So in some ways, it was a little bit frustrating that that aspect of the offense struggled in the first weekend. For sure. And a big part of that does come down to the idea of strikeouts. And everyone knows that's been a part of this team for years. I think the main concern, or one of the concerns for me when it comes to whether it be the situational hitting or the strikeouts in general, is that you can live with strikeouts if you're also getting a lot of walks and or if you're getting a lot of runs. It sort of helps balance those out. I feel like in 2018, 2019, and I know uh, they were drawing more walks, especially when you had guys like a ground doll in 19 where he's taking a lot of pitches, so he's going to strike out some, but he's also going to walk some. You look at the last couple of games – very few walks and obviously a ton of strikeouts. So, yeah, that continues to be a concern for sure. It's not obviously easy to hit, and it's not easy to change your approach or your swing just because there's a guy on third and less than two outs or just because there's a guy on second with nobody out. It's just not that simple, and I think most people can understand that. Um, but there's definitely something there, something that's missing, and, again, maybe maybe it'll be different as you go on this year. One thing I, I noticed, and I haven't looked at the numbers, but it sure seemed like the Twins, for example, they seemed very willing to just go the other way with pitches, especially with men on base, whereas it felt like, again, just from the naked eye and watching these games, that the Brewers were kind of pull-happy and trying to yank everything out of the park. And, again, I understand that's a big part of the game now, but maybe, I said, maybe that's the, the new strategy you have to go with is, is kind of reteach, relearn, going the other way consistently. And uh, Rock uh, will love that approach because of all the high velocity. I mean, it gives you a chance to, to see the ball a little bit deeper, which it gets on you so fast, and you still can barrel balls up because the bats can hit the ball deeper in the zone. And all these guys are playing strong, still driving to the park like you saw the Twins do today. So 
you know, I don't know if that's anything that's on mind Bruce hitters or, or, you know, Haynes or, or anybody like that. Um, but man, it is, it's something that, uh, is, as I said, it's been a problem the last few years. And, um, you know, unless something gets fixed there, they're going to have to, they have to make sure they're hitting bombs on a pretty regular basis. I'm going to keep saying this over and over and over through our conversation that, you know, three games, small sample size, um, yada, yada, yada. But a lot of people already talking about Keston Hira over at first mm-hmm. base. And it, you you can deal with some deficiencies at first base if he hits the way the organization expects him to hit. He had a really tough right. offensive weekend. We'll see what when he gets going. But s- Sunday in particular, there were two plays that uh, stand out, one where he overthrows at second base. On a, on, a, on a non-conventional play, that's not a standard first baseman's play, but it's a play that happens enough that you want to be able to make that. And then when he was trying to stretch at one point, Point for a ball that was going to be a little bit wide, the way he stretched mm-hmm. was he took his front leg and his front leg crossed over the 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 first baseline, so it got into the path of the runner, and then there was just a big collision. And I think each of those two things, you can clearly look and say, okay, here's a guy who's inexperienced at first base, looking so uncomfortable with that throw, you know, down the line a little bit to second, and then obviously with his foot positioning at first base. For sure, that play where he uh, ended up really causing that collision up the line—that that is a pure inexperience at first base thing. Um, you know, I think we talked about before. I am a coach for uh, my younger son's now U11 team, but even our first baseman there—it's it's a constant reminder to not take yourself into the baseline, either you know in front of the base or behind the base. I think usually you think of being taken into the line, you know, before the runner reaches first base. Um, so that's definitely an inexperienced thing with with here, I believe. Um, I think uh, the you know either Anderson or Rock they mentioned that that's when you just got to come off the base and 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 just make sure you everybody stays safe and you get the ball and nothing happens. You know the throw to second obviously you said it's not conventional so to speak and it's not the type of throw you're making from second base so maybe a little inexperienced there. Um, but when it comes to that play of all the the plays that the first baseman has to make to even spin and throw to second, that one was pretty simple in my perspective because. The runner was nowhere in the line of sight. He had plenty of time to get the ball, and it looked like he just he just planted and it failed on him. And uh, you know, I think everybody knows the biggest concern with Hero was his arm in terms of making throws from second base. His glove was you know fine. His range is fine. Um, it's it's the throwing that uh, was the issue. So maybe a little bit again of inexperience there, but that one actually concerned me more than than kind of taking himself into the into the runner. So again, everyone has to understand. You know, kind of like you mentioned, there's, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be growing pains. It doesn't mean he's going to be bad forever. It doesn't mean he can't figure it out. Uh, I guess the concern is at what cost, whether it's mentally, physically, is it going to affect his hitting? Uh, there's a lot of things that can go into that. Um, I had actually wrote a piece, shameless plug, on Brew Crew Ball about uh, the mental side of it. And that some, I even heard some uh, ex-MLBers say, well, maybe this will help his hitting because he's going to be so focused on first base that he's just going to go up there and hit. Well, so far this weekend, again, I'm not making any judgments on it, but you don't really have any anything that tells you uh, in the positive for that way. So, you know, I, I have a feeling he gets a day off tomorrow in Chicago. I don't think they have a lefty that they're throwing, and, and maybe they give uh, Vogelbach just a start and, and let here clear his mind. I could be wrong, um, but uh, we're going to have to live with the growing pains. And as you said, if he hits, it's a lot easier to swallow. If he doesn't, 
now you start to wonder, okay, where do we go with this uh, for the future? And I'm going to play devil's advocate with you on that throw to, to second. Not that I disagree with All what right. you were saying, but I'll say this. He doesn't have a very good throwing arm. He makes right. he makes mistakes throwing. At first base, Like that, they've played three games and he's basically had to make one throw like that, right? Where if you're at second base, right. you're you're making maybe 10 throws a game, depending on how many ground balls you're getting. So yep. if at first base he's going to be limited in how often he throws, so if he's going to commit right. errors throwing, at least at first base there's going to be a lot less opportunity for that. Yeah, for sure. And that is also why I was more concerned about the way he handled himself you know, at first base with the footwork. And I completely understand that's going to get better. At least I believe it will. Uh, but you just worry there not only – you know, being able to make the plays there, but because of obviously the risk of injury. So I, I'm with you there. If, if the fills are limited, which they should be, obviously at first base, um, if that's his main problem, hopefully that's not that big of an issue when it comes to defensively for here. I would not be shocked at times. I like when when you think about the, the it doesn't always work out this way because not everybody is available. But when you think about the best defensive team, if you're holding a one run lead at the mm-hmm. you know in the ninth inning. I would not be shocked to see some sort of alignment of Travis Shaw at first base and then you know maybe Arcia at third and Urias at shortstop and obviously Kane and Bradley will both be in the outfield. But I think when you look at this roster, isn't Shaw probably the best defensive first baseman? Yeah, I don't think there's even a question, honestly. I mean, I don't know much about McKinney. I know they've said he can play there. Uh, but for sure I'd say Shaw is. And I agree with you. If you're late in the game, kind of like the Brewers with their pitching, um, you know, their goal for the most part this year seems to be run prevention, which is perfectly fine. So if you're going to do that, eighth, ninth inning, you have your Williamses and your Hayers on the mound, and then defensively, like you said, you you shore it up as much as you possibly can because the last thing you want is your pitcher to do their job in the ninth inning, and you know, an easy play for here or, or you know anyone else who might not be a defensive stalwart that kills you. So 100% agree that if you're looking for more defense, if you're a little uncertain uh, at first. Shaw's the way to go right now. How about Hader hitting 100 on opening day? Oh, man, that was awesome. I, I, I mean, everybody sort of, I think it, it seemed like everybody kind of paused for a second. Like, did we see that right? And yeah. I don't know if the guns were a little bit hot. Who knows? But I love to think it was the fans, and he was just feeling good, and, and maybe he found a little bit of tweak that's going to give him that extra extra bit of umph at the end. Uh, yeah, that was fun to see. He talked a lot after the game. He talked about working on strength during the offseason, and then – uh, just hearing from from some certain people out there who who were watching, people were really focusing in on how efficient and effective he was in his mm-hmm. body movements, and that's something that like I can't sit here and break down a pitcher pitching. It's not something that I'm skilled at. I'm not a scout, but I I I clearly understand the concept behind it that. Every muscle movement, every every millimeter that your body moves at any moment, if you can make it all working towards the same thing, you're going to be more effective. And me being a, a big-time amateur and talking about this, it just really sounds like what people are saying is a guy who's got absolutely zero extra you know, fidgeting going on inside of his body that everything is kind of working in motion there. And that could very well be true. Uh, truthfully, I wasn't watching him uh, from that perspective. I, I think I definitely, I do try to look at those things. And it's hard to turn my brain off from that uh, a lot of times. But I, I guess that game, I really wasn't looking at it that way. Um, but I, you'd love to see that. And especially with guys, at least I've always had this belief and with talking with other coaches and stuff, um, 
you know, guys that are kind of longer and are kind of gangly in a way that Hader is, um, and you think even a guy going back to Randy Johnson, sometimes it takes a lot of time to really be able to hone in on getting everything to work in sync. You know, it's just it's just the moving pieces, the length of it all, and making sure the timing of it. Um, I do believe there's something to that. So, you know, these guys are professionals, and I think sometimes maybe people just look at Hader like a guy just comes out here and throws. You know, he doesn't really care about his craft, and he's not working on it like someone like Burns who's in the pitching lab sounds like every day. Uh, I think that, you know, that, that definitely could be something. And, and I'll trust people who are watching this more and, and maybe, you know, scouting this kind of thing that maybe he is kind of bringing it together from that perspective. So it's a little less about being raw and hiding the ball and just, you know, hitters being a little uneasy in the plate, uh, at the plate. But now Hater is kind of finding that groove where, uh, you know, the maturity level and the physical tools and, uh, and just the learning curve um, starts to come together, and he has one of those years that he didn't expect quite that uh, this much success. And um, you'd love to see if his velocity is that high; he's just going to be, you know, that much tougher to hit. We're going to nerd out here for a second. I don't know if listeners are going to enjoy this or not, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll move on in a moment. As as someone who spent a lot of time in the minor leagues, I've had a lot of conversation with scouts, I've had a lot of conversation with pitching coaches and uh, minor league pitching coordinators and things like that. One of the terms, you, you don't hear it as much at the big league level, to be honest with you, at least not with the people that I'm talking mm-hmm. to, but one of the terms you hear a lot at the minor league level is talking about a pitcher's av- ability to repeat a pitch. And what that means mm-hmm. is if a pitcher is going to throw, he can do the exact thing of what he just did and do it over and over and over. And you were just talking about guys who have a little bit more size. It is a lot tougher to be able to repeat a pitch when you're bigger and taller and have longer arms just because there's more stuff that you're moving so there's a higher percentage chance if you got a if you got a uh, someone who's a little bit smaller it's easier to repeat a pitch because there's not as much stuff they're moving and I, I don't I don't know if that's what's going on with Hater or not I wasn't even trying to apply this specifically to Hater but what you said made me think sure. of it that you know that's one of the things that that that's being looked at as these guys are coming up through any minor league system is the ability to repeat a pitch. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, again, it's not a fair comparison, you know, the coaching that I've done with even high school level, but, um, you know, as you said, that consistency, and, you know, it kind of goes down to hitting too, but pitching especially is being in that same arm slot over and over and over, being under control with your body that you know where the pitch is going every single time. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously not always going to happen that way. Uh, and then you talk about the idea of, I'm sure you've heard this as well, tunneling where your fastball is coming out the same arm slot and position as your slider, as your changeup, whatever pitches you're throwing, that makes it that much tougher on a hitter. Um, and you talk about as far as the arm slot and being able to release the ball consistently in the same spot. I know, I don't know if it's on baseball savant, I can't recall offhand, but they have those charts where they'll show you, all right, he threw 23 pitches, here are all the dots, and how close was his release point every single time and that does give you often a really good indication of whether or not he's had good command and uh, being able to throw the pitches where he wanted to um so i think that is a huge huge thing and obviously the more and more we break pitchers down with metrics and with all the measurements and the pitching labs you know they, they really are trying to hone on in on that as much as possible and again a guy who's got a lot of raw ability uh, and i still think he's he's raw in some senses with hater uh the more he can hone that in Man, he, he could be successful for maybe even longer than some people thought when it looked like his velocity might be dipping last year. Did you think Corbin Burns was better in his first start than any start he made last like uh, and um 
Craig Council joked about it a little bit on Sunday that he thought maybe the slider actually wasn't as effective as it normally is. But when 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 we watched Burns on Saturday, it was filthy. He was working all of his pitches. He, he's sitting there with a 92 mile per hour changeup, which is crazy. Right. I mean, just <laughs> it, it's ridiculous what we were seeing from Corbin Burns. Yeah, I mean, and so my, me and my family were at the game on Saturday, and you know, we uh, we were in the front row, if you will. So not really, we were in Bobby Uecker's front row. So it's tough to see, but what you can see from there is as hitters walk away, and what you can see is really from the perspective we had is how late they were on those, and it's not just about the velocity, but even the movement with uh, you know they want to call it a cutter. I mean, that's really what it is in a lot of cases. Um, it was, he was, he was filthy. And as I saw highlights and, you know, people are texting me and tweeting me cause they're watching it on TV. And, um, it, it was, it was pretty ridiculous. I mean, that was extremely impressive. And I do think that was, I mean, I had to have been the best start of his career. Um, just the way he was mowing guys down, seeing the control, seeing poised, And even the fact that he had to be going toe, toe to toe, because on the other side, Barrios was shutting the Brewers down. So that, you know, that really amped it up a little bit for me being more of a kind of a baseball nerd like yourself. I loved it. I love seeing that. And I know some fans probably weren't so happy about no uh, base runners for six innings, basically. But um, you know the way he looked. That I, I was telling telling my sons like this. He's right now. What you're seeing is kind of the idea of getting those guys in the pitching lab and really hammering home what are your strengths and how can we just use it over and over and over and be that effective and that efficient. Um, it was fun to see because I think a lot of people have been looking at Burns for you know, five, six years as being that, that next ace, so to speak. And I'm not trying to leapfrog over Brandon Woodruff by any means, but, man, the way he looked, his stuff yesterday, or, uh, sat, yeah, yesterday with, uh, with Corbin, that was, uh, that was something to see. I, I was really impressed with that. My favorite nugget from that day was that Burns and Barrios became uh, the first pair of opposing starters to have 10-plus strikeouts and one or fewer hits allowed in the same game in the modern era of baseball. Literally, what happened on Saturday hasn't happened before, and we don't get to say that very often. Yeah, just insane. I mean, I knew either way, neither of them were going to finish that game the way the managers obviously will handle them, but I don't care. Even through six innings, that that was just awesome, unreal. Before uh, before we get you out of here, let me t- let's talk through a little bit about the process of you attending the game on, on Saturday. And I think the Brewers have sure. done a fantastic job in making twenty five percent feel like a lot more. I think just the way the the pockets of fans are set. I don't know what it is, but it, or maybe it's just the fact that last year there were no fans, and I'm a prisoner of the moment. But either way, <laughs> it really feels like there's a lot more than 25% capacity. Even beyond that, what was the experience like for you being back at a baseball game in the first time in, in over a year? That's the first thing, right? I, I'm obviously going to be geeked up because it had been you know, a year and a half since I had been to a, a major league game. Uh, so going there was just awesome, obviously, and we were all excited uh, to go. Um, and you know, it has its pros and cons, of course. Um, you know, we, they had a, they do want you to go to a certain gate just to make sure they're limiting the crowd sizes there. And, uh, you know, without being able to carry anything in is, is a little unfortunate, but, you know, I understand from that point of view. Um, as far as being inside and everything, I agree. I think overall they do a good job with that of, of spreading people out. Um, you know, I think it was actually pretty nice to have some space and have some room. I mean, obviously I love being in a full stadium with the sound and, and the excitement, um, but especially as we're coming back and everything, I think it was, it was nice to go sit back and relax and not have to worry about people around you and uh, that sort of thing. Of course, you know, with the masks, 
they weren't really too stringent on that, to be honest. Obviously, most of the time you are eating or drinking something, so they understand that, and they'll, they'll kind of, you know, they'll let you be with that, and, and people were respectful of all that. Um, I think, again, as, as long as, as long as no one's getting out of hand and being belligerent and, and making a scene out of stuff, I don't, you know, foresee the really the issue. So I thought that was handled overall, overall well. Um, also, um, you know, the food-wise, they have used the, the mobile app to be able to order your food that we don't, again, have to stand in line necessarily. Um, they don't have all the concession stand stuff open, but, uh, you know, they planned it out, right? They know where people are going to be. They know where they want to have enough, uh, enough food and enough workers available for you. So, uh, again, all things considered, I, I really don't have any complaints with that at all. I think overall a really good job. It's happy to, you know, happy to be back. Everybody was, I think, in a good mood there. To your point, you know, when, when there's not a lot of cheering going on, you definitely notice there's very few people. You know, if there's 40,000 people, if there's 30,000 people, you just, you get that general, like, baseball kind of ambiance, people chatting, and uh, it doesn't doesn't sound that way when you have 12,000 spread out. But when, uh, you know, when people were getting into the game, trying to trying to maybe encourage a hitter or a pitcher or, you know, obviously when the Brewers are trying to rally, that stuff, you still felt that, you know, you still felt it was loud enough in there and that you figured it impacted the game a little bit. So, um you know, it's going to take a little while to get back to normal. I don't know how long it'll be to get back to 100%. Um, but I think all things considered, everything that they're trying to do to make sure that, you know, every person, no matter what their views are on uh, how much safety you need and how much space you need, I think they're they're doing a good job of balancing that out and making sure that if you want to come to the game, we're going to keep you safe. We're going to give you as many options as we can. And, hey, you know, come for three hours, enjoy the experience, and, and we'll do this as often as we can. So did you buy food through the mobile app? Yeah, we did. We did. And actually, we, at first, we hopped in line for a concession, and you know, it wasn't moving very quickly because there was still a handful of people in line. And there was a sign there that said, hey, mo- you know, order with your mobile app. So I just stood there and quick did it, and it, it went 10 times faster. So I encourage people to do that. Um, I will say double-check your food before you go. They're all learning uh, the process, too. We did have uh, some brats instead of hot dogs for the kids and vice versa. Uh, so I just want to check on that stuff. But, you know, again... We aren't going to sit there and argue with the people. They're, they're trying to do their job. It's a new thing for them. But overall, it worked out well, and I think it was actually faster than having to stand in line, and you don't have to miss any of the action either. So your kids prefer hot dogs over brats? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, here we go. Uh, well, my younger <laughs> son actually has always preferred brats, which would be surprising. He's 11 now, but he's liked brats for a couple of years. My older son, he's always been a little pickier. Well, accidentally got the brat yesterday, and he's like, "Oh no, I like this." I'm like, "Yeah, exactly." You know, if you actually try something, you might like it. You know, instead of being so picky. So, I think we're all good there. I think we're good with brats now. I feel like I uh, hit the a wife. Did I, did I hit it? No, no, you're good. I was saying the wife. Yeah, no, the wife though, not so much. She she'd still stick with the hot dog. So uh, take it easy on her, Wisconsin. Okay, fair uh, fair enough. <laughs> Well, Tim, we appreciate the time as always. I encourage people to follow you on Twitter at Tim underscore uh, Muma, Tim underscore M-U-M-A, uh, contributor at uh, Brew Crew Ball, one of the many folks uh, over there who do just uh, an absolutely fantastic job. Tim, always appreciate your time, and doing this on uh, Easter evening of all nights is uh, that much more special. So thanks for the time, and uh, we'll do this again very, very soon. No, I definitely appreciate it. Always, uh, always happy to talk brewers, and hey, you have to talk Brewers on Easter Sunday. That's never going to go away. That is true. Very good. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, take care. 
Tim Muma joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. As we do start to uh, wrap things up, let's go ahead and take a look at the schedule for this upcoming week as the Brewers now are going to hit the road for uh, the next week or so. They are going to play the Cubs a lot here over the next few weeks as they have a road series this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in addition to a home series against the Cubs next Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then they have another three-game series against the Cubs coming up April 23rd, 24th, and 25th. So nine games against the Cubs between uh, April 5th and April 25th. That's obviously a lot of games. But the schedule uh, this week, three games against the Cubs, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, 6.40 first pitch on Monday and Tuesday, and then on Wednesday an afternoon game on a getaway day. That's going to be a 1.20 first pitch. At that point, the Brewers will head south to St. Louis for a three-game series against the Cardinals. The Cardinals will have their home opener against the Brewers on the 8th. That's going to be a 3:15 first pitch. That's going to be an off day on Friday, so back-to-back Friday off days before they wrap up their three-game series against St. Louis with 1:15 games coming up on each uh, on Saturday and Sunday. All games on WTMJ. You can listen to uh, my post-game show, Brewers Extra Innings, following the games on WTMJ. MJ. Reminder, we do those. Uh, we don't do those after weekday day games, so there'll be a couple of games this week where we uh, don't do them. We won't have one on Wednesday. Won't have one on Thursday, but we almost will because we'll have uh, Brewers Weekly that night from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock, so essentially it's going to be the uh, the same sort, of, uh, same sort of deal. And for those of you in the Milwaukee five-county area, just a reminder, we announced this just prior to the season getting started. You can now listen to Brewers games on the WTMJ stream. So if you're at WTMJ.com, if you're listening on the WTMJ mobile app, this is only for people in the five-county Milwaukee area this year, Major League Baseball. So Major League, in case you care, I'll, I'll give you the business background on this. Major League Baseball historically has controlled the digital streaming rights for all clubs. They have not been controlled on a local basis. Major League Baseball has controlled all digital streaming rights. So we we would get complaints all the time at the radio station about the games not being streamed. There was, there was nothing we could do about it. The, not even the Brewers owned the streaming rights. It was something that was owned by Major League Baseball, and you had to have MLB TV or the MLB uh, Game Day Audio subscription to be able to get it. Well, Major League Baseball actually changed out the rules a bit where now... The, the streaming, both from an audio standpoint and for a video standpoint, but we're talking audio right now, Major League Baseball changed the rules where the local clubs control the local streaming rights. So Major League Baseball, if you're listening out of the Milwaukee area, Major League Baseball still controls the Brewers' streaming rights where you live because you don't live in Milwaukee, and that's why you still have to have the MLB TV or the MLB Game Day Audio. But Major League Baseball teams have reassumed control of their streaming rights in a local in their local market, and that's what allowed WTMJ.com to start streaming Brewers games this year for the first time ever. Don't know if you have any interest in the business side of things, but there it is. Now, now you know, and I hope you're glad that you know. My appreciation going out to Tim Muma for joining us. Same to you for being tuned in. We look forward to talking to you next week, talking more Brewers baseball. It is Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.